everybody, Chris Harry with you on a week four edition of Chargers Weekly. A bit later, James Coe of DirecTV's Fantasy Zone joins me to help set your week four lineups. We'll also get this week's opposing view up in the bay from 49ers writer David Lombardi of The Athletic. But first, the voice of the Chargers, Matt Money-Smith, joins me, and we preview Sunday's game against San Francisco. All right, here with the great Matt Money-Smith on Chargers great. Weekly. Yeah, great. Come on, we're, dude. We're coming in hot, Money. Great. Yeah, that's a little too hot. I, I got to start with this from our own Haley Elwood. Fantasy question. She asked me to pass along to you. Okay. Ryan Fitzpatrick okay. against the Bears. Against the Bears, which I'm saying is a no. Tom Brady against the Dolphins. Oh, Tom Brady. It's Tom. Yeah. I People mean, overreacting to the Matt Patricia meltdown. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, the there are issues there. Um, but Sony Michelle looked good enough now that Rex Burkhead's on IR um, that they'll have a running game. He certainly is not enamored with his pass catching options. You know, Julian Edelman doesn't get back until next week. We'll see if Josh Gordon gets out there. But for me, Fitzpatrick just, you know, he holds the ball so long to get those routes to develop. And with the pass rush and the line, the front seven that the Bears have led by Khalil Mack right now, man, I don't want any part of that. With, Stay away. With Fitz, yeah. Just because that's what he needs. He needs those deep routes. You know, that's where he's making all those, all, you know, pardon the pun. Well, that's not a pun. Pardon all, you know, the, the Fitz magic is holding on to it for five seconds and just ripping it downfield to Deshaun Jackson or Mike Evans. And that's just not going to happen against the Bears. Yeah, you can't do that, Bears. I agree. No. Tom, Brady, Tom Brady, Haley, Tom Brady, Dolphins. I, you know, we're both in the same league. We're both 3-0. So uh, I'm yeah. kind of giving her there a little we go. We're doing a pod a for three edge. people right now. I like it. <laughs> All right. We're going to rewind to the Coliseum. I thought it was an awesome atmosphere for LA football. It was. It's a you great know? atmosphere. I'd say, I don't know what the exact numbers were, but, you know, the Coliseum holds 90,000. I'd say probably 60,000 people there based on, you know, the Peristyle being shut down and things it's like that. 68. Was That's the, okay. And it was a great good. mix. A lot of Charger fans, I think, that aren't able to to find their way into StubHub Center because it's a 23,000 seat venue. So I think they took advantage of a lot more seats and piled in there. Um, seemed like it wasn't a violent atmosphere at all, a, a too rowdy of an atmosphere, which the Coliseum can be at times. I thought it was just a great afternoon of uh, of electric football and a lot of offense for both fan bases to cheer. It was a fun, entertaining game. What was the story from your vantage point, Money? I just thought from the beginning they were just a step behind throughout the whole game. Yeah, on their heels. Defense was on the heels, uh, on their heels. The whole. I think I said at one point during the broadcast. You know, you always hear the cliche: the defense is on its heels. I said this defense is sitting down. They're laying down in a Shea lounge right now. They just could not. You know, whether it was the scheme, the talent, the inability to get to the quarterback with four because Joey Bosa is still out, uh, it just was a bad matchup for this Chargers team. And I think before people overreact to, oh, well, so much for a top three defense, you know, coming back this season that we had last year, it's the two best offenses in the NFL facing a team that is down their best defensive player. That's a bad combination. And let's not forget about Corey Legit. Let's not forget right. about... Uh, Who came on at the end of last year, and, and as a defensive tackle, is a little bit more of an upfield defensive tackle who pressures the quarterback from the pocket from the as interior. opposed to that stout, run-stopping defensive tackle. Yeah. Also, we were also talking about Jalen Watkins, who that just that underrated injury in the preseason yeah. at free safety. safety yeah. He would have got some valuable snaps, and, no and question. guys like that would have helped against an explosive offense like the Rams. No question. Watkins could have played free because you can see they're trying to do it with Jaleel and good on him for trying to make it happen. But we know Jaleel's probably better in the box. But when you got Derwin James, you got to figure out a way how to get him up there on that line of scrimmage You know, a little bit, a little bit more often. I think they're, they're kind of getting it there too. So it's, it's mixing and matching. And I think 
again, starting starting this week on this stretch here, where you get the 49ers, the Raiders, the Browns, the Titans, you ought to see this defense perform at a much higher level. Well, let's workshop this in terms of finding that pass rush. You know, hopefully Ingram, Rochelle can get to the quarterback. Who else can you bring in? You know, we saw Derwin in the box against Buffalo, and he had some success. I think Uchenna, Desmond King can show that he can get to the quarterback. He had four sacks last year. What can they do to I mean, get more pressure? They're trying to do everything, right? Chris yeah. Landrum, um, Chenna had it in, in Buffalo, but against the Rams, just you know, look, Whitworth's a great tackle. Uh, they have a good offensive line. It's a great offensive line. So when you're talking about Whitworth, Saffold, Sullivan on that one side, you know, left side is just hard to penetrate. They had Melvin lined up on the right side a lot. And what were they doing? They were shading the tight end over there and even doubling him. So that's what they're going to have to figure out. I mean, that's that that's the riddle is how do you generate a pass rush without bringing the house the whole time and falling victim, you know, to guys that are going to break open if a quarterback's able to see him. I think you'll see maybe a little bit more aggressive uh, aggressiveness from Gus, maybe five uh, guys coming more often than we were used to seeing certainly last year because it's C.J. Beathard and he's just not able to diagnose as quickly as Jimmy Garoppolo would have been able to. Yeah, one in four as a starter and obviously devastating news for the 49ers. Sure, it's terrible. Below. Looks like Richard Sherman is not going to be in this game also, either. Yeah. Uh, but we saw, listen, you were in Buffalo. You saw the following week what happened in Minnesota. This league, every week, you got to be ready, regardless of the opponent. Yeah, and look, I, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Bills. They're clearly good enough to get a, a win over a team that was in the NFC Championship last year. But when when I put together you know, what we call the board for this game, compared to that Buffalo game, it's not close. I mean, the, the Niners have not just good players. They have great units. I mean, they have a great offensive line. They've got a great defensive line in Buckner and Armstead and Solomon Thomas. They have great inside linebackers. So, you know, and Warner and Foster. This is a good team. I it mean, is. this is a team that has got some talent. And they got a heck of a play caller. Exactly. Kyle Shanahan's one of the best play callers in the NFL. So I don't think there is any chance that the the Chargers would overlook this team to get to Raider week, you know, even though that's the big rivalry week. Um, I think they know that this is their stretch, right? If if what we're hearing is Bose is going to get back sometime in October and just, I guess, string it out to maybe worst case – the last game in October, you've got an opportunity against teams that aren't the Chiefs and aren't the Rams in the Niners, the Raiders, the Titans, and the Browns to get wins and come out of this stretch without, you know, one of your two, three best players on the team the entire stretch at 5-2. and two. And you got to take advantage of that opportunity every week. That's the silver lining too, Money. I think just the fact that you played the Rams, you played the Chiefs in weeks one and three, what lessons do you think this team can take from that? That their offense is really good. You know, the offense is there. You know, they're going to score points. And that's that's kind of where I project those games, even though I do think the Titans are a good team. The Browns are a much better team, a pretty darn good team, too, um, as are the Niners. I just think the Chargers offense is going to be able to outscore them. They're going to be able to make up for their lack of defense without Joey Bosa by putting 28 32 points on the board and winning these games 28-18, you know, 31-21 kind of. I think Philip and and you know, and company have the ability to do that. They're yeah. good enough to give you that kind of that kind of buffer that the defense can take their time to get back to the level they were at in that last year when Joey Bosa returns. The 49ers have allowed 24 points in all three games this year. 
And let's go to Mike Williams. I mean, this was a guy in training camp and preseason money that you saw these exciting plays day in and day out. You didn't really see him do it with Phillip Rivers. These last two weeks, he is looking like a guy the 49ers going to have to game plan for. Yeah, oh yeah, he's special. I mean, there's just no question. He's the first guy that you want to send off the bus. You know, with, with Bosa injured, you know, what do you think? Okay, who do you want him to look at? Well, obviously you want him to look at Phillip Rivers. Get 81 up there. Quarter. Exactly, but I want 81 up front because I want a safety, uh, a cornerback to go what the hell do I do with that? You know, and you saw it in both positions last week. You know, Marcus Peters, one of the best cover corners, step for step. And what does Mike Williams do? Blue he uses by him. His, yeah, blew by him and uses his length to just lay out and get that ball, you know, with that basket catch. You know, and, and then you, LaMarcus Joyner, super physical, athletic safety. And what does Mike do? He uses his body to shield him and run to that corner. And it's like, hey, you might be big and strong. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. You're not getting around me. And that's how he got his second touchdown. So he's the whole package. I mean, look, there's a reason, A, why he was drafted where he was, and B, why you won a national championship. You know, I mean, it's not easy to beat Alabama in a national championship game, and that guy did it against NFL-caliber defensive backs by being one of the three or four best players on the field. So I, I think it's, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. I think the big question was, it's not, you know, when you hear, oh, the guy broke his neck. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's what, you know, kind of freaked you out a little bit. It's of like, course. how do you come back from that? And now we're seeing, okay, if he comes back from the injury, he's physically, athletically, he's as gifted a package as you have at that position in the NFL. It was unfair to, he was almost buried his first year just because he came in late. He didn't have the rapport with, with Phillip. You can't pick up the playbook. You can't do the things that he's doing now without a full healthy offseason. And now that he has shown what he can do, I think people forget, okay, this is why this guy was number seven overall. Yeah, and I think also, you know, it's 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 a Phillip issue. You know, Phillip, you, he's got to trust you, you know, because he's going to – And once he's got it, you know, once you have that trust from him, it's coming your way. If you're open, you don't have to worry about not getting looks because it's clear – that he trusts Virgil Green now. He trusts Mike Williams. It's not just a heavy dose of Keenan Allen, which is kind of what we had last year for most of the year. You know, there weren't a lot of targets for Travis Benjamin. Occasionally, you'd get a Tyrell Williams game, but it was really Keenan. And, and you know, Keenan was kind of your first and second option, and then he would move on to check downs to Melvin Gordon, kind of almost became that second option. So I think now he's looking as, you know, I think Phillip looks at the defensive backfield and says, go ahead, pick it. What, go. Are you, what are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to do Allen or are you going to do Williams? Because whichever one you're not taking care of, that's the guy who's going to get the ball and he's probably going to beat you. And there's a lot of mouths to feed too. We look yeah. at the way that, that Gordon and Eckler ha- have started this year and just the way that, that Wiz has, has used those guys really at the same time, you know, in, in certain situations. Eckler as efficient as it gets, I think he's had 11 targets, 11 catches, and he always he makes a big play. Every, he only has seven touches, money, but he makes a big play every single game. Yeah, and his uh, his running efficiency as well. He's averaging it's like insane. eight yards eight per yards carry. Eight yards carry. Yeah, you know, and Anthony Lynn mentioned, he's like, look, that's one of the things you can do when you're not asked to do it 30 times a game, and that's what makes him to some degree so valuable is that Melvin's been efficient in his touches as well. So now all of a sudden you bring a guy in who doesn't need a lot of touches and is giving you eight to ten yards per touch. Um, it's it's a luxury, but to some degree, it's also a necessity because yeah. that's how you set up those big plays. I mean, it's not like the Mike Williams touchdown pass, you know, the 42-yard grab was something that existed on its own in a vacuum. No, it was set up by all those yeah. dink and dunks that Phillip's comfortable with. He really, this season, through three games, is 
been the poster boy of taking what the defense gives you and being totally fine with it. I don't think I've seen him force one. Th- obviously, the interception against Kansas City was a little bit forced. But outside of that, the guy has just taken whatever is in front of him, and he's been super efficient as well. The thing about Phillip, too, is this was an emphasis I think Coach Lynn had. It's just, hey, take care of the football. You don't have to do that much. And to that point, Money, Phillip, he doesn't take as many risks because he doesn't need to. Right. He, he's got the weapons around him to be successful. And that's why those turnovers are down. The Chargers' last 10 wins, 21 touchdowns, just one interception for Phillip. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the key is for this team, you know, over this next four game stretch is get ahead. You know, get ahead. Because that's going to help your defense. Just talking out. to James Lofton, I think it's been 20 games that they haven't scored a first possession touchdown. Yeah, that needs to change. Yes. So get ahead and let your defense breathe. You know, that's that I think is the key. Is like we saw in that that Buffalo game when you get up, the defense is going to be much more effective just because they're down men right now. So that to me is the key against the 49ers. If you can get that 10, 14 point lead, uh, it's going to come easy. I think uh, to that to that defense. If you got a chase. It gets a lot tougher, you know, and they just could not get out from underneath it against the Chiefs, against the Rams. Mistakes are magnified when you're in that situation. They have a chance to tie the game up coming out of the half, and what happens? Keenan fumbles, and then all of a sudden you're down 15 again, and you just felt like that's it. That took the air out. Yeah, it's just like, okay, well, that was our shot, and now it's gone. Same thing with the Chiefs. Okay, we cut it to 10. J.J. fumbles the ball. They score, and it's like, okay, it's over. That's, That's it. You know, it's just too hard to keep climbing out of these holes, so... That's that's what I'm hopeful of, is that what we've seen from this offense as a whole, we can see in the first 15 minutes of the game. Finally, besides playing ahead, what else do you want to see from this team? Based on what you saw the, the first three weeks, maybe things that need to be corrected, things you want to see improved. Oh, I don't. I think it's the front seven, no question. You know, I think it's just, can they find it? Is there, you know, there's plenty of talent. You know, we, we know that Isaac Rochelle's talented and Uchenna Nwosu was one of the best pass rushers in college football last year, um, you know, what do you have to do to try to find that pressure from the other side so Melvin Ingram can go back to being Melvin Ingram and really wrecking offenses? Um, so I, t- to me, more than anything, that's that's probably what I want to see. Also, you know what? I'd like to see the offensive line, you know, and just selfishly, I'd like to see it get healthy. I'd like to see Forrest Lamp out there. Be so nice. instead of having Sam Tevy, who's kind of a, I'll give you a breather here for a series or two guy, um, go back to that kick Schofield out to tackle, get Forrest Lamp there next to, to Mike Pouncey and really get strong on that interior line with Feeney, Pouncey, and, and Lamp and see if you can get some push inside there. And eventually get Barksdale back too. I exactly. Mean, you you got to have that depth down the stretch. Money, an important couple of games at StubHub Center. Excited to get back home. Appreciate you joining me, man. Absolutely. Love doing it. All right, before we get to David Lombardi of The Athletic San Francisco, a quick break to let you know that this season we've taken Chargers Weekly to the next level. That's because I'm using Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2 on air now. The powerful noise-canceling technology helps me block out distractions and brings you all the latest news on the Los Angeles Chargers. And when I'm not recording, these are my go-to wireless headphones. They help me block out noise. I always use them on the team plane so I can concentrate on my prep for games and, of course, bring you that next episode of Chargers Weekly. Visit Bose.com slash Chargers to learn more about the most powerful Bose headphones yet. Bose, the official headphones of the NFL. To get this week's opposing view, David Lombardi of The Athletic San Francisco joins me. And David, let's start with the lead. Jimmy Garoppolo out for the year. Devastating news for a team with high hopes in 2018. Uh, what's the mood in Santa Clara now that they've had a few days to digest that news? You know, it's 
it's always devastating because I think this early in the season, no matter how the first three games have gone, your gut hope, especially if you have a win in, in one of those first three games, and the 49ers were one and two, so your your gut feeling and, and your your initial emotion is, is hope, right? So whenever the franchise quarterback that you miraculously acquired last year and that you signed to a $137.5 million extension to make him your cornerstone in the offseason, when he goes down, it, it sucks that hope right out of the franchise for this year. Mm. After a few days, though, I think that uh, people have started to get some perspective on this. They realize that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be back for the season opener, in, season opener in 2019. And they also look to see where the 49ers were likely headed this year. And, you know, based on all the data that we have so far through those first three games, this was still a flawed football team. This was still a team that was likely headed toward the 8-8 eight and eight range. Uh, which probably would have meant no playoffs. And it, it, when when you consider that, this this wasn't really the year that the 49ers were circling the wagons looking to make a deep run. This was just the next step. Will they take that next step in, in the win-loss column this year? Now that Garoppolo's gone, probably not. Um, but it, it's not like a chance at a championship has has gone out the window with Jimmy Garoppolo um, heading to IR for the year because uh, this team led the NFL in missed tackles through, or still leads the NFL in missed tackles through three weeks. They're third in penalties. They have a ton of drops. I mean, it, this is still a roster that needs some development, needs to take its lumps, and, and it was going to take its lumps regardless of whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo was in the lineup. So I think that the 49ers are looking at this as, uh, okay, we'll just circle the wagons. We're not going to try to bring in another quarterback. We'll go with C.J. Uh, Beathard this, this year, and, and then we'll make our big run after we get another draft pick and another offseason of acquisitions with Jimmy Garoppolo healthy again in 2019. You know, it's just tough luck, too, though, David. Well, you, you have Jarrett McKinney. You bring him in as a, as a big free agent signing, and, and he tears his ACL before the year. So, really, the top two weapons on your offense gone in September. And, and C.J. Beathard is a guy they drafted in the third round last year from Iowa We've talked to Desmond King about him and his former teammate. He started five games last year. How much confidence does the coaching staff and the players have in CJ? I think they have a lot of confidence in him, and, and I think it's really important to look at the details of what happened last year. I mean, CJ Bethler did a job that maybe nobody else in the NFL can do for the 49ers last year. They were completely decimated up front. I mean, this was a bad roster to begin with that Kyle Shanahan inherited in 2017. And, and you know, early on in the building process, there's, there's still a lot of questionable pieces. And the 49ers had a lot of questionable pieces and injuries on top of that. So at one point in, this, in the low point of last year against Philadelphia, the 49ers were about five seconds away, I think, from having to use their tight end, Garrett Selleck, as right tackle. Mm. Because they had... They had two injured tackles. Their swing tackle got hurt. They had no tackles on the roster. They moved out one of their guards who was also hurt to play right tackle, and he wasn't getting up after one of the snaps. And at that point, when, when it looked like this guy wasn't going to be able to continue, Garrett Selleck was on the, uh, on the sideline starting to talk to the offensive line coach about coming into the game. Then the, the backup guard got up, and, and he finished the game against Philadelphia. But – on that afternoon, C.J. Beathard was still pressured, according to PFF, 
on 60% of his snaps, which is the highest out of any game um, by any team last year. And then the very next week, B.J. Beathard was hit 16 times by the Arizona Cardinals, which is also a high for the NFL in a single season. Now, remember that in between those two games, the 49ers traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Obviously, he wasn't ready to start yet because he had to learn the playbook. So they had him in uniform as the only other quarterback for that Arizona game where C.J. Beathard got hit 16 times. So if C.J. Beathard isn't able to tough that out, then Jimmy Garoppolo has to come into the game three days after a trade where the 49ers, not knowing the playbook, but the 49ers don't have any healthy tackles. And that's obviously the last thing that Kyle Shanahan wanted. They might have gotten Jimmy Garoppolo injured um, within a couple days of arriving via that big trade. So um, C.J. Beathard was nailed last year for the 49ers, even though he wasn't particularly accurate. He didn't have that much of a chance because that, that line was so beaten up. And he hung in there and he gutted it out when when this football team really needed it. And I think that earned him a lot of credibility in the 49ers locker room. Well, you know, context matters so much, David. And I'm glad you brought that up from last year in the offensive line was because CJ was sacked, I believe, in those five starts 17 times. And you mentioned getting hit 16 times against Arizona. Uh, how much was it a product of the line versus him just holding on to the ball too long? If you had to, if you had to put the blame pie on the offensive line versus just a young quarterback, inexperienced quarterback, maybe holding on to the ball too long. It, it was both. Um, uh, anytime you get hit sixteen times, you you I think you have to look at all factors. And then also when Jimmy Garoppolo came in, the line did get healthier. But it wasn't fully healthy, but, but, the, but the hit rate went down significantly. And obviously the offense was actually the most productive in the NFL uh, in December. Garoppolo just lit the world on fire in the five games that he took over. So obviously having a, a quicker release at quarterback and having a better quarterback helped the 49ers a lot. Um, that being said, it was ugly for the 49ers, especially during that stretch where C.J. Beathard, who was the quarterback, uh, as far as the supporting cast went. The, the, that line was was in dire straits there for a little while. So um, it was both, and that's why Kyle Shanahan has been very open about his opinion, and uh, you know maybe more than an opinion this week, that, that C.J. Beathard has improved since last year. That This is going to be better than, than, than round one, and, and, and I think that you have to believe him because the line's going to be better. Beathard's decision-making, he's, you know, within the context of Shanahan's complicated system, is going to be better. And I think that the one thing that people aren't talking about enough is that the 49ers have a run game now. They do. Um, after, hev- yeah, after heavily modifying their offensive line in the offseason, they got Weston Richburg, big free agent center. They drafted Mike McGlinchey, who's not as good of a pass blocker as their former tackle, Trent Brown, who's now uh, protecting Tom Brady in New England, but he's a lot better run blocker. And they're able to run the outside zone the way that Shanahan wants it to be run, even without Jarek McKinnon. And they're the top three in the NFL not running. And that's a benefit C.J. Beathard was not working with last year. Yeah, Matt Breida tied for the lead in rushing with Ezekiel Elliott. And then Alfred Morris there, a guy that Kyle knows very well from his time in Washington. But let's go back to last week, David. Take me through what happened in Kansas City, because listen, the Chargers saw the Chiefs a few weeks ago in, in the opener. Chiefs scored 35 points in the first half against the Niners, and that's more about the Chiefs, I think, than anything else. Was it just as simple as they just couldn't keep up too much too quick? 
Well, everybody knew that the 49ers defense would would go through some growing pains this year. This is a unit that's still far from completion. As I mentioned at the top of the segment, they lead the NFL in missed tackles. They racked up a ton of missed tackles uh, against the Chiefs. This was Ruben Foster's first game back. He had six missed tackles, which is something you probably won't see continue just because of how sound of a tackler he is. And Fred Warner, they're, they're very talented other inside linebacker at four missed tackles, which is something that I think will, will improve as the season goes along and, and he gets used to the NFL speed of play because he didn't play uh, inside linebacker in college. He was more of like a slot outside linebacker, hybrid, strong safety kind of guy. So he's getting used to all these new angles and the 49ers are growing as a team, which is one of the reasons why I said that maybe losing Garoppolo this season isn't as devastating as losing him, say, in 2019 where the defense is much more mature and the team is ready to, to make more of a run. So uh, I think that was the story uh, of this game. You had a young defense that uh, still has some holes in it, that still has some development to do going up against the Chiefs offense that was firing on all cylinders. And, and when that's the case, the only way that you're going to win that football game if you're the 49ers is if you take control of that game offensively and play some ball control, right? Yeah. If the, your best defense is, is your offense. And they failed to do that. They On the very first play of the game, they drew up a big game that, that Shanahan's done that a lot this year. Um, that was dropped. And that's happened a lot this year. George Kittle, their tight end, who was C.J. Beathard's teammate at Iowa, couldn't hang on to, to a perfect pass in, in wide open spaces. And they went three and out. The Chiefs get the ball. They score a touchdown. And then it snowballed on the 49ers. The Chiefs don't have a good defense, and, and in the second half, the 49ers, who, who I think have a good offense this year, and they may still be decent even, even without Garoppolo, started uh, coming back and racking up points, but it was just too little too late, and they didn't give their defense a chance to dig in at the start of the game. So um, I, I think for the 49ers, the story, because their defense is, is precarious still, they won't even have Richard Sherman this week, who's been their best player uh, alongside the Forrest Buckner. Um, because of that, they need to play some ball control on offense. And if they don't, they're going to get behind the eight ball really quick. That that leads me to Richard Sherman. And obviously the Garoppolo injury overshadowed everything. And then you learn you lose Richard Sherman maybe for a few weeks. How much does that affect the back end of the 49ers? You mentioned that, that him and, and Buckner are playing the best ball for them. Yeah, well, nobody was throwing at Richard Sherman. And, and if you go by that metric, he was playing the best football of his career, which is crazy. Wow. I mean, I, this is this is the best cornerback over the last, you know, six, seven years, right? But even in his prime in, in Seattle. Coming off an Achilles, uh, too, David. Yeah, yeah, coming off an Achilles. So, But even in his prime in Seattle, people were, were, were testing him a little bit, probably because they had to, because the, the rest of that secondary – had some talent. So you can make the argument of the reason that teams have only thrown a Richard Sherman six times all year. And they've only completed one pass against him this year, one out of six all year. And he broke up a nice uh, deep one, a tired tail last week, uh, which was a nice uh, indication that Sherman has some bursts still after that Achilles injury. But the fact that, 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 that teams aren't testing him at all probably tells you that, that the 49ers uh, have some other unproven pieces to put it nicely in the secondary the teams would rather face right you know with that Seahawks secondary you were afraid of some other guys the 49ers right now are gonna have to put guys that other teams obviously are not afraid of on both sides with Sherman out so it's going to be a Kello Witherspoon most likely on one side second year guy who surged last year but has regressed the teams a little bit this year 
maybe has been fighting a little bit of an ankle injury now. He's really going to be in the spotlight. And and Jimmy Ward, who was one of their former first-round draft picks from several years back now in his fifth season, um, likely not a guy to stay with this team beyond this year, but uh, they did pick up that first-round fifth-year option uh, for him to kind of plug in into situations like this. He could play any spot in the secondary, and it's going to have to be cornerback this time with, with Richard Sherman out. So, um, yeah, that, that was big because it had shut down a whole side of the field for the 49ers. That side of the field's no longer shut down, and, and it's a lot of suspect young guys now who are still taking their lumps in that, in that secondary for the 49ers. And, and you know, if, you're, if you have Phillip Rivers on your fantasy team, this is not a bad week to play him. David, let's look ahead to Sunday. Uh, what are the 49ers saying about facing this Chargers team? Obviously, there's some connections there. It, it goes back from, you know, Mike Shanahan hired Coach Lynn, his first coaching job in the NFL. So he knows Kyle very well. Uh, Gus Bradley, Robert Sala, they worked together for a number of years in Jacksonville and Seattle. Uh, some pretty cool connections here. Yeah, uh, and obviously the quarterback for the, the 49ers, C.J. Beathard, is the grandson of, of the great GM Bobby Beathard. That's right. It's funny because C.J.'s first career action last year came against Washington. That's right, in the and, second half, right? Bobby he got Beathard. he was uh, yeah. he came in in relief. And he led him to a big comeback. They almost won that game. In fact, the 49ers had a stretch last year of five straight games that they lost by three points or fewer, e- each one of those games, which was an NFL record. Uh, which was obviously uh, covering the emotions of that was pretty brutal uh, because even if a team is in building mode, the guys put a lot out, you know, guys aren't thinking of that when they're, when they're putting their health on the risk to play the game of football and have to go into a locker room week after week after week after they, you know, have just lost the game by three points or, or even fewer than that. So a couple of them, they lost by one or two. Uh, was just like, you know, it, it, A, it's a broken record, and B, the, the emotions there were, uh, were, were were tough because it was so much close but no cigar for the 49ers. But that was Beathard's first start was was part of that five-game stretch. And um, it was interesting because his grandson was the GM of, of Washington, of the Redskins there for a while, and obviously also of the Chargers. So this will be uh, that, that, that's an interesting connection. You, you look at Sala and Gus Bradley, uh, obviously together in Seattle and then Jacksonville. So uh, you have two teams running the same defensive scheme in the Chargers and the 49ers, which I think what five or six teams in the league now run. It's all part of that Pete Carroll coaching tree on defense, the four three with the, with a fast edge rusher and the, 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 the strong side linebacker bringing some heat single high, Free safety. Um, that, that, that's. I think it's a fun defensive scheme to watch. A lot of hard hitting. You let guys run. Um, so that that will be one of the common threads. And then what? What was the last one? Oh, just the Shanahan and Lynn connection. You know, Coach Lynn. He played for the Broncos. Uh, Coach Shanahan, yeah. Mike Shanahan, gave him his first opportunity as a coach. And he's known Kyle for a long time. I think Kyle was a ball boy in Denver when Coach Lynn was there. Yeah, so and the offensive coaching tree uh, connections, with, especially with Shanahan, are, are so fascinating. With the 49ers, it goes back to, to Bill Walsh. Um, you had Mike Shanahan coaching uh, the 49ers under George Seifert, right? And from 1992 to 1994, those are three really prolific Steve Young championship, uh, prolific Steve Young offensive uh, teams that went to the NFC championship each year. They, they played the Cowboys. They lost twice and 
and then they won in 94 and, and then won the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan was a ball boy for those 49ers teams uh, under George Seifert because his dad, Mike, was, was the offensive coordinator. And, and obviously, George, George Seifert was the, the direct the coaching descendant of Bill Walsh, who had just left the 49ers. So uh, for, for the 49ers, everything kind of came full circle. Um, when they hired Kyle Shanahan because he started talking about all those stories from the glory years when he was the ball boy. And then you start hearing these stories of guys like Lynn. Um, and it just reminds you that the coaching tree grew past Bill Walsh and George Seifert yeah. and, and, and Mike Shanahan from Mike Shanahan to, to Kyle and, and, and other guys. So um, it, it is really neat when you start delving into all these NFL coaching webs. Final thing for you, David. What's going to decide this game on Sunday based on what you've seen from this 49ers team through the first three weeks and knowing that they're coming into this game with a brand new quarterback and I'm sure they're going to rally around CJ and uh, you're going to get your best uh, football from the Niners on Sunday. Yeah, that's what's going to decide this game. You know, we talked about it before we, we came on the show. The NFL is a very unpredictable league. The minute that you, you know, are certain that something is going to happen, the opposite usually does. As, as is the case in Buffalo last week in, in Minnesota, right? So um, I think that because these are all professional players, this is not like college where if you lose your quarterback and, and you were already overmatched to begin with, you're going to lose by 50 points. It's not the case. These are all the best guys from their respective college programs. So there's talent everywhere. Well, a lot of it is relying on how motivated a particular team is, how you know in tune with the game they are. If they're a step slow, they're going to get killed. Uh, no matter who they are, because this is the NFL. And, and, and I think the 49ers' motivation level following that C.J. Beathard uh, insertion into the lineup is going to be really important. I think the 49ers are, are a team that's going to rally around C.J. Beathard. Um, you, you know, I think when we first talked a few minutes ago, I was pretty skeptical of the 49ers, but you talked me into it a little bit, Chris. I think that it, 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 you're right, the you never know what's going to happen in the NFL. And I think that although the 49ers aren't going to be sustainable winners this year because they aren't as good at the quarterback position, I think they, they are, you know, will be able to get a good game or two worth of, of emotional energy off of what, what's happened because they do respect C.J. Beathard so much. So uh, I do expect a really close game. Uh, between the 49ers and, and the Chargers. Yeah, it's all about respecting your opponent. And I know in this building, they have nothing but respect for the 49ers and what they've done from the front office all the way down to the coaching staff and, and the players in that program. So, David, this was awesome stuff, man. I, I really appreciate you joining me. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right, I want to tell you about this rare chance for you and a guest to join the Chargers on the field before kickoff. You get two tickets to a game and a special VIP meet and greet with our guys, NFL analysts Daniel Jeremiah and Matt Money-Smith. Enter for the chance to win this backstage Chargers prize pack by going to chargers.com win for all the rules and details. No purchase necessary. It's open to Southern California area residents 18 and over. This ends January 10th, 2019. Again, go to chargers.com win for all the rules and details. All right, we'll get to my guy James Cohen in a second, but I want to tell you that the Los Angeles Chargers rely on Bose QC35 headphones too to block out distractions and focus on what matters most. The same powerful noise-canceling technology helps you concentrate on your music, your work, maybe this podcast, or whatever you're passionate about. Learn more at Bose.com Chargers. Bose, the official headphones of the Los Angeles Chargers. 
Now joined by James Coe of DirecTV's Fantasy Zone and The Athletic. James is going to help you set your week four lineups today. And I'm going to start with this, James. I'm going to brag on you a little bit because the last time you joined me on this program, it was June 8th, right? We were in just the dog days. And we were talking about mm-hmm. getting your fantasy team ready for 2018. And we talked about Mike Williams. And you had a few things to say about Mike Williams James Coe on June 8th. To me, Mike Williams is a lock to be a top 30 fantasy receiver, and he has the talent level and the opportunity to really explode on the scene. You went on to say you expect a 70-catch, 1,000-yard performance this season, six to eight touchdowns. Right now, he's on pace for 1,000 yards. He's on pace for 80 catches, and he's got three touchdowns through the first three games. I just want to give you your proper due, James Coe. <laughs> I get them. I get them right every now and again, man. <laughs> but yeah, no. Look, it's hard not to. It's hard not to have liked Mike Williams and the fit uh, in that Chargers offense. You know what I mean? Um, for whatever reason, big body wide receiver streaking downfield. It's just like, it's like hot sauce and fried chicken, man. It just goes together uh, when you're talking about those kind of receivers and Philip Rivers. You know what I mean? Just going all the way back to those Vincent Jackson days. You know? But, oh yeah. I, um, you know, James. I talked to I talked to James Lofton because he's calling the game earlier uh, in the week. I talked to him. He's calling the game for CBS. Hall of Fame wide receiver. Also was the wide receivers coach with Vincent Jackson and Keenan McCardell and and all those guys. And Philip has always had one of those big body receivers. Yeah, just and and just you know making tough catches, you know. So it's it's good, man. And Mike Williams is certainly that guy. So um, from a fantasy perspective, you know, I think you could feel pretty confident firing him up uh, this week against the San Francisco 49ers. Who again, uh, you know, you feel bad for Jimmy Garoppolo. You feel bad for the 49ers. I mean, they have just been just absolutely struck down by injuries. And I know I'm talking to Charger fans, so they, they have no mercy and they have no pity for anyone else's injuries. And I get that. Uh, but you know, they made a free agent acquisition in Jerick McKinnon. He goes down with the injury, Jimmy Garoppolo, the, the, uh, a huge you know contract and their, their franchise quarterback. And he goes down with a knee injury as well. So yeah, man, they, they, they've seen some, you know, hard luck in terms of, in terms of injuries over there in the Bay area. James, got a lot of questions for you, but I just want to start with this. What's the craziest fantasy trend or just the biggest fantasy surprise for you through the first three weeks of the season? Um, you know, off the top, it's just been, you know, the, the top draft picks have largely been either ho-hum or disappointing. You know, David Johnson is completely looks like he's mired in a real bad offense. Um, and these are things that were easily predictable and, and honestly things that I was talking about in the preseason, I had Alvin Kamara as my number three overall pick, right? And and I got so much pushback and so much, you know, blowback from that. Um, people saying, oh, I'd rather have Zeke, I'd rather have David Johnson. And now people are saying, I'd rather, I'm going to bench David Johnson. <laughs> it's like, hold up, dude. We're, we're in September still. The season. It's like, exactly. We're, we're benching a top five pick? Like, this is crazy talk, you know? But um but yeah and again it was one of those things where in the preseason i was saying look at the offense look at the offensive line there's going to be some serious problems here they have no consistent downfield threat i'm talking about the arizona cardinals and then you look at the dallas cowboys same thing with ezekiel elliott you know he's been he's been pretty good uh through the first three weeks right but there are some serious warning signs if he doesn't get a touchdown there are there are going to be games when he is a massive disappointment. Um, you know, teams are trying to crowd the box. They're trying to figure out, okay, we don't even need safety help over the top. We're just going to bring our safeties down, 
and crowd the box and force Ezekiel Elliott to beat us. Um, and he's been great against loaded boxes this year. He has been great. But at some point, that number, that efficiency and that number is going to come down. And when it does, an already ugly Dallas offense is going to be even worse. So I just think that there are definitely cracks in the armor and uh, some warning signs out there. But yeah, I think in terms of, I've just been surprised by, you know, the entire first round has been um, consensus first round draft picks have been largely disappointing and or, you know, just kind of hold on. Even Antonio Brown, as great as he's been, you know, it, it's not like he's been gangbusters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Juju Smith-Schuster almost is, um, you know, is has as many or more points than, than Antonio Brown. It's a crap shoot in September, and we got a bunch of questions. A couple of Mike Williams questions off the top, James. And this is from Russell. He asked, basically, do we view Mike Williams as a must-start moving forward over someone like a Doug Baldwin when, when he comes back, Sammy Watkins with the Chiefs, Calvin Ridley, et cetera? Oh yeah, I mean, compared to all those guys you just listed off, hundred uh, percent. Even I mean, I know Doug Baldwin. The problem with Doug Baldwin is that he's just not healthy. If he was healthy, okay, yes, you play Doug Baldwin ahead of Mike Williams. But uh, as it stands right now, the health is certainly a concern. You know, I think Tyler Lockett has certainly emerged in that passing attack as well. Uh, meaning when Baldwin and there are signs that he he'll play Sunday, but um, even moving forward, is the is the target share going to be there? For Doug Baldwin, will the downfield, you know, um, there's a next gen stat called air yards. Uh, will the air yards be there? Meaning, will they attack downfield uh, as often with Doug Baldwin? Uh, I, I would say the answer to both of those would be no. So, uh, to me, Mike Williams, and again, I get that he's playing, you know, um, he is, you know, obviously second in the pecking order behind Keenan Allen, but he's going to be getting all those downfield threats. And when they get into the red zone, man, uh, clearly we've seen it three touchdowns in three games. Uh, he is an absolute elite touchdown maker. Yeah. And it's not just the red zone. You know, that, that first touchdown against the Rams was the 42 yard variety blowing by right. Marcus Peters, you know, so he, he can, he can catch it deep as well. Um, another Mike Williams question, Mike Dub or Calvin Ridley this week against the Bengals. And then it's a two parter drop Gio Bernard for Austin Eckler. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I love me some Austin Eckler. Um, and it's funny, you brought up Mike Williams, you know, talking about that, uh, that piece I wrote back in June and even talked to you, you know, um, back uh, on the podcast back then too. There, if there was one guy I was, I mean, just through the moon with excited about watching and super optimistic, it was Austin Eckler. And there, I don't think you would find a fantasy analyst that was bigger on Austin Eckler uh, than I was coming into the preseason. Because, again, my whole take on Austin Eckler was, you're getting this guy in 14th, 15th round. You're getting this guy for free. He is going to have a role that is similar to Tariq Cohen in Chicago that Cohen is going in the 8th or ninth round. Um, if you like Cohen, you should love Austin Eckler, and I love Austin Eckler, and uh, it's been great to see him you know, really come through statistically uh, the first three weeks of the season. So that's been nice. Um, in regards to that question in particular, Eckler versus Gio Bernard, it's awfully tough because I would just say, God, there's got to be somebody else you could, you know, you could drop to pick up Eckler. Yeah. Right now, you know, Gio Bernard is going to be the lead back for Cincinnati. I know Mixon, you know, is, could potentially come back 
next week or, or maybe in a couple of weeks. And when he does, you know, you, you would expect that he gets, you know, the lion's share of the carries. But again, it's a knee injury and, you know, it's, it's, he's coming back. I love when they call it a procedure, by the way. It's like he had knee surgery, but, you know, they want to downplay it and say, oh, he just had a procedure done on his knee. It's yeah, like, right. wait a second, did they cut him open or not? Because if they did, that's a surgery. <laughs> yeah, that's like, something. Uh, but, yeah, so we don't know what the health is going to be like for Mixon. So I just, man, it, it's, I just can't advocate dropping Geo for, for Austin Eckler, but it's like I, I still feel like Eckler is a must-own uh, in 12-team or greater leagues. Next one. Tyreek Hill or Austin Eckler in my flex spot this week. I think that's pretty easy in terms of just keeping Tyreek Hill in your lineup every single week. Yeah, you got to do that. I mean, I, I, I like the Charger optimism, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of reasons to, to really, you know, feel like Eckler's going to have a big game against the Niners. Um, but that being said, even on a, even on his best day, it, it's just, it's, it'll be hard for Eckler to access the ceiling um, the fantasy ceiling, statistical ceiling uh, that Tyreek Hill has uh, just in that KC offense. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think it's a no-brainer. you got to keep you know Tyreek Hill in there. Megan's got a good one, and it's not Charger-related. She has all three backs from Green Bay, and she's got Christian McCaffrey on a bye. Which Packer RB should she go with, or should she just get a, a waiver snag in week four? I like Aaron Jones. Um, you know, Buffalo this week, by the way, right? Green Bay-Buffalo. Yeah, exactly. Green Bay, Buffalo, and Green Bay playing at home, too, which is nice. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> if it was, you know, if, if, what Bills team are we going to see, I, I guess, is the I question. I don't know. Right? The that's, first two weeks that's of the, the season, question. they were the worst team in the NFL. They were the worst team in the NFL. And then week three, out of nowhere, they go on the road. They take on, you know, one of the division's best, one of the NFL's best in the Vikings, and they just put it on them, man. So – it's hard to say what Bill's team we're going to get. Okay. Now that being said, I do think the Vikings clearly were dealing with some off the field stuff. And, and I think that they did not come into that game focused at all. A little bit they of a look ahead to, to Thursday's yeah. game against the Rams. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's gotta be human nature to do that. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I think Green Bay playing at home uh, against the Bills. I don't think they're going to take the Bills lightly, you know, uh, especially because with where the Packers are at right now on the record, you know, um, that division being so tough, man. They have they have to win these games, these winnable games. They got to win these games, man. Um, so yeah, I think I think it'll I, I think that they're going to try to you know put a pretty big number up. The Packers will, um, and and I think Aaron Jones is their most explosive running back. I don't go, think Megan. I know, you know, I, it's like, look, Jones to me is the clearly superior uh, offensive weapon anyways to Jamal Williams. So there you go. There you go, Megan. Aaron Jones. All right. Next one. Rob Ramirez, Marvin Jones or Amari Cooper. I believe the Lions have the Cowboys and the Raiders are at home to the Browns. No Sean Lee for the Cowboys. I think Marvin Jones, um, for, and I know you know he, Sean Lee's a linebacker, and how does that impact the wide receiver? Well, just the defense in general is just going to be much worse off. Uh, there's a bunch of statistics to, to back that up, but the bottom line is the Cowboys are a one of the five worst defenses in the NFL without Sean Lee. Um, and their defensive front is pretty good, you know, so they'll put some pressure on, on Matt Stafford. Uh, that being said, Marvin Jones is the 1A. Um, maybe he's the 1B. Uh, who knows? But it's a 1A, 1B situation with Kenny Galladay 
and him on the outside, but he still gets plenty of looks, man. So for me, it's a Marvin Jones, and I think it's a no-brainer. All right, this, these are a few good ones, a few Rivers questions. Rivers at home against the Niners or Rodgers at home against the Bills? I love Phil. At first, I was like, oh, you got to play Philip Rivers, but how do you not play Aaron Rodgers at home against the Bills? I, I just don't know how you do that. Um, again, we talk about accessing a higher ceiling, um, and Rodgers is that guy. He's that guy that, you know, he legitimately can give you 30 points in fantasy. Now, Philip Rivers could potentially do that as well, but my question there is I, I wonder – if they go up huge, if the if the Chargers go up huge against a Niners team that's going to struggle to score, um, you know, let's say they're up 14 points going to the fourth quarter. I mean, I think you're going to see a healthy dose of Melvin Gordon, right? So, I just, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I wonder if game script actually will work against Philip Rivers. If he's going to get points, it's going to be early on, because I tell you what, the way that that game is kind of sort of looking, um, I would be surprised if he gets you any fourth quarter points at all. All right, James, this one's pretty interesting, too. Rivers or Tom Brady against the Dolphins in a game the Pats absolutely have to have. I just wonder if Brady has the weapons to put up big-time numbers. Yeah, what's Josh Gordon going to do? We I don't know. The, the, the number one question, you know what I mean? Um, man, uh, boy, that's that's interesting. I want to lean towards Tom Brady. And, and I know he was absolutely atrocious against the Lions, and that was a plus matchup and, and all of those things, but... Um, man, I, I, I got to think that Bill Belichick and the boys will game plan some kind of way to, you know, shake loose, uh, these offensive woes. So yeah, I think I'm still going with Tom Brady there. Sometimes you got to zig when everyone else is zagging, right, James? I mean, it, yeah. it, we, we don't know what's going to happen week to week. And I, I think Phillip is a QB one this week, but when you have guys like Rogers and Brady, Sometimes you got to make tough decisions, and and here's one more: uh, Deshaun Watson or Philip Rivers. Deshaun Watson or Philip Rivers, man. Against the Colts, um, against a, a pretty underrated Colts defense so sneaky. far. Yeah, they're sneaky good, aren't they? I mean, they've been you know racking up turnovers and and putting pressures on the quarterback. They're not nearly as bad um, as you would think that they are, but uh, yeah, Texas on the road too, man. I feel like, God, it, it seems kind of crazy, but I mean, it is Deshaun Watson. You know what I mean? Even in, in, in horrible game scripts, he's been pretty good fantasy-wise. Um, I, I still think Deshaun Watson, but man, I feel bad because I really think Philip Rivers is... Let me go back to the Tom Brady one and just say Philip Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> give give Philip one of the three? Well, then James, this I guess this yeah, is my point I, with quarterbacks, though, because this is why you don't get a quarterback early, right? I mean, this is why you draft a quarterback late because Phillip Rivers is yeah. a QB1. I think all four of those guys are going to put up QB1 numbers this week. And, and sometimes you you overreach for a quarterback and, and you don't get the backs and receivers you need to to really get towards a championship. That's right. That's the, the, the overall philosophy behind, you know, waiting on quarterback. As long as you target the right guy, you know, and I think if you target the Philip Rivers, I targeted Philip Rivers in, in damn near every draft I had because the, the the overall health of the offense looks great. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I'll say Philip Rivers over Tom Brady, but Deshaun Watson over Philip Rivers. That that would just be my my thing. I, and again, a part of it is I just think that look, I I love the matchup for Phil. You know, Philip is going to get you know he's he's got a great matchup against the Niners team, but. Again, just if it's not a competitive game in the fourth quarter, how much are we going to see the Chargers throw the ball? 
And I know they're a throw-first offense because anytime you've got Philip Rivers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, you're, you're going to throw. And Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler are great pass-catching running backs as well. Yep. That being said, uh, you know, I just when when a team is up double digits in the fourth, it's you know it's pretty tough to throw the ball. Um, if you're it, pretty tough to call a, a pass play when you're an offensive coordinator, you know what I mean? No doubt. Listen, man, you always crush it. You crush these questions. James Coe, DirecTV Fantasy Zone. Tell us everything you're working on, including the Fantasy Zone and what you're doing at The Athletic. Yeah, so at The Athletic, I have a, a column coming out every Friday. Um, go catch it there. For, for both places, The Athletic and for DirecTV, you know, I focus on next-gen stats, so I give people some advanced stats, um, some analytics. I always use air quotes whenever I say analytics. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> scare, it scares people. Um, but look, if you've ever read my work, if you've ever watched my work, um, yes, I use, you know, I'm using air quotes here, analytics, and yes, I use advanced stats, but um, I make it incredibly as digestible as possible. I promise you, if you watch my pieces, if you read my work, you will learn something uh, about fantasy football, and I make it as easy to understand as possible. So, um, so yeah, that would be, so that would be my one thing, but yeah, so next gen stats work for, for the athletic next gen stats work and just overall fantasy football work for direct TV as well. So catch that show fantasy zone, um, Sunday, we're on an hour before kickoff and we just go through the entire day. It's red zone style, man. We're going to give you every single game. We're going to give you every single touchdown. We'll give it to y'all, but we'll also give you a lot of fantasy advice and fantasy implications uh, while you're watching the games as well. So that's DirecTV channel 704. If you have, if you've got Twitter questions for me, I'm, I try to be as good as possible about getting back to the fan stuff. So uh, you could find me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram uh, at James D. Coe. The last name is spelled K-O-H. A must watch, a must listen. James Coe, you're always a, a friend of the program and we can't thank you for your time, bud. All right, man. Thanks for having me on anytime. And that'll do it. A big thanks to James Coe, David Lombardi, and Matt Money-Smith for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. You can find Chargers Weekly in our new Backstage Chargers podcast on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review. Help spread the word. Enjoy Sunday's game against the Niners. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayrie.